with, with the day is dark. Uh, I mean, this is the darkest hour of their life. Uh, the most difficult time, pain, suffering is deep, and, and you're invited in, especially when you don't know, know the family. This is a difficult thing. And when I was, when I was younger, eight, ten years ago, when I was first starting out, I, I thought that I would be invited into the room, and, and I thought I was supposed to have all the answers to the questions, when the truth of the matter was I, I probably had more questions than them. Um, I thought I was supposed to know exactly what to say at just the right time, and really nothing that you can say at, when, you know, in, the, in the darkest hours, the darkest days of, of uh, somebody's life, especially right there in the, uh, in the hospital room uh, with them, at the funeral home with them, uh, wherever, wherever they're facing that, that difficult time or season of life. I think the most extreme example of this was last summer. I got to church uh, on, on Monday morning. I think it was a Monday, if I remember correctly. Monday morning, and I have kind of a routine that I go through. Um, and I got to my email, and this is what was waiting for me. Pastor Scott, which is a clear sign that something's about to go wrong, because nobody calls me Pastor Scott if you've been around here at any time, any amount of time. So Pastor Scott... I apologize for disturbing you. I was given your name and your church's name by somebody more familiar with the Joplin area than I am. There's a family that was involved in a horrific crash this afternoon. The, the email was sent the night before. On I-49, just north of Sheldon, Missouri, a friend of mine stopped to help the family who were headed back home from vacation to Nebraska. They were taken to Freeman West. The father did not make it. The mother and the 15 and 21-year-old are all in very serious condition. My friend was hoping a pastor might call on them as they have no family near here at all. I would have called the hospital to see if any clergy has been, by, has been brought in for them, but I didn't think the hospital would, allow, uh, would be allowed to inform a stranger. Would you, be as, would you be so kind as to see if there has been or needs to be spiritual support called in for this family? Their last name is, gave the last name. The survivors are M, T, and D. Actually gave their whole names. The father's name was D. He has been taken to a local funeral home. Thank you for your willingness to assist in getting support for this family. What do you do when that email is waiting for you on a Monday morning? I got in my car. Probably drove as slow as I ever have to Freeman, and it was still the fastest trip I've ever made there. And I pulled in, and normally when I, I, I arrive, there's you know the entire parking lot's taken, so it takes you 20 minutes to find. Not this day. There, the front parking lot, par, front parking spot was waiting for me. Pulled in, and I just said, "Lord, you know I, I don't know what to say. In, in fact, Lord, if you don't if you don't allow me to see them, I, I would be just fine with that." Because what do you say to a family that's alone like that? I guess the Lord answered my prayer. I wasn't able to see them, but I did, I did make sure and was able to clarify and, and, and align some chaplains to go by and visit their family. I went by to the 15-year-old's room first. He, was, he or she, I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl, um, took, or was off getting some tests run and about to go into surgery. Uh, the, the 21-year-old was in ICU. I wasn't even able to see uh, them because I didn't know them and I wasn't their pastor. 
And then the, the mom was the least critically injured. She had already been released. So I was able to get on the phone and talk to the mom. And I just told her how sorry I was uh, for her loss and for the difficulty that she was facing here in Joplin with nobody around, no loved ones around, nobody to help until, you know, they were able to arrive. She thanked me for that and told me she'd call if she needed anything and haven't heard from her since. That's a difficult, a difficult thing to do as a pastor. But it's also difficult as a friend, isn't it? I mean, most of us in here have been called on. Now, maybe not somebody, maybe you didn't receive an email of a, of a person that you've never met before, or it was not somebody that you were unfamiliar with, but you've still been called on to show up to a hospital bed or a hospital room or a funeral home or a, somebody's house at a difficult time. You've been asked to, to show up at somebody's darkest hour to offer support, care, comfort. That's a difficult thing to do. Over the last 10 years, one thing has become apparent to me. I'm not sure of a lot, but I can be, but I am pretty sure of this. That when pastors and family members and friends show up to somebody's hospital room or, or somebody's life in a dark hour, it is very appreciated. But when somebody walks into that room who has been through the loss, the heartache, the pain, the suffering that that person is currently facing, something changes completely. I mean, there's, there's a galvanizing relationship that happens. And it happens almost immediately. There's a, there's a connection that's made between somebody who is currently hurting and somebody who has hurt in a similar way, same, same uh, depth of, of pain. There's, there's something that, that galvanizes these people, that connects them. When they face the same kind of heartache and loss and pain, similarly and deeply. And that shouldn't surprise us, because the Bible says that that's the case. The Bible tells us that when we face difficulty as believers, when we face difficulty, when we face dark days, when we face pain and suffering, that it's for a purpose. Now, we don't always know what that purpose is completely, but I do know one of those purposes. It's to, to be a conduit, to be a resource, to be a person that offers comfort from the same source that you have received comfort. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look at the role that we play as believers in other people's lives as they face pain, suffering, heartache, difficulty. We've been in a series, this is the third week of four, on surviving the storm, a, a series on pain and suffering. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at um, the question of, can a good God exist if there's pain and suffering in the world? Can an all-powerful God exist? And we said, yes, he can, because he has a, a view, he has a perspective that we simply do not have. He doesn't create pain and suffering. It, it's not a part of his character, but he can still use it. He's powerful enough to use it. Even though it wasn't a part of his plan, he can use it. 
for our good and for his glory. So from his perspective that sees eternity past to eternity into the future, he is at work in the midst of pain and suffering. He can't exist in spite of it. In fact, he's so good and he's so powerful, he can even use it. And last week we, we looked at truths that we can cling to, we can hold to when we're in the middle of pain and suffering. Now I want to make that clear afterwards. Somebody came up and said, hey, my, my friend's in, in, in a deep pain and suffering right now. We're like, what week should they listen to? And I said, last week, this is not the week for them. Last week is the week. If you've been in the middle of pain and suffering, three truths that we looked at from God's Word, hopes that we can cling to in the middle of pain, difficulty, and suffering. That leads us to this week, the role that we play as the church in people's lives in the middle of pain and suffering. And so, next week we're going to have a Q&A, a question and answer. Jordan will give you more information about that in the and that time of the announcements. I'm looking forward to that. We've already had a couple really good questions come in, and we, we have room for several more. So you're welcome to go ahead and send those in. We'll have information for you here in just a few minutes. But this week, the role that we play in the middle of pain and suffering in other people's lives, Paul gives us a hint at how that happens in 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1. Before we start, I want to just kind of set this up for us. <coughs> Paul, as was his custom, would show up into a city and would, would, would begin to evangelize. And as people were one to Christ, he would start a church and plant a church there. And he would spend a considerable amount of time, a, a, you know, a limited but yet considerable amount of time um, in a city, get the church started, ride, raise up leaders, train leaders, get the church where some, some roots are kind of going deep, and then he'll move on to the next city. Well, that's exactly what happened in Corinth. He showed up into the city for it, began to evangelize, share the gospel. People were one to Christ. People began to mature in their faith. Paul trained and, and saw leaders rise up, and he would institute them as leaders in that local church. And then he moved on to the next city. Well, he was in Corinth for about a year and a half, saw this process take place, moved on. Well, not long after he left the city, he got word that there was a lot of difficulty. There were, there were some problems happening in the city of Corinth, and in particular, in the church. So there were, there were some problems going on there. So he asks Timothy, you know, a guy he's kind of a part of his crew, uh, asks Timothy to go back, find out what's going on. Timothy goes to Corinth to spend some time there. Goes back to, um, uh, to find Paul, tells Paul, hey, there are some problems going on in the church at Corinth. There's some disunity. There's some heartache. There's some pain. And they're not of one accord. So Paul goes to Corinth to see it for himself. It says, I took a painful visit there. He goes and he takes this painful visit to Corinth. He finds out, indeed, there's disunity. There's disharmony. There's chaos happening in the church. He leaves and he writes a letter, a severe letter, a letter that we, don't, we no longer have anymore. He wrote three letters to Corinth that we know of. The first Corinthians, then this severe letter that we don't have anymore. God in his, his sovereignty and his power uh, saw fit not to keep that letter for, for his word. But Paul wrote that letter, and then he wrote a third letter, second Corinthians. Well, he writes this severe letter to Corinth. And he has Titus, another kind of part of his crew, delivering. Titus delivers this letter, and he stays, apparently, for a little while. 
After a little while, he goes back to Paul and he says, Hey, Paul, things are looking a lot better in Corinth. Things are going well. Things are finally, finally turned the corner. There's a unity among the church now. Things are looking up for the church in Corinth. So Paul pins one more letter. It's the letter of 2 Corinthians. And basically his purpose is this. You've been through a lot. I've been through a lot. And I'm glad to hear things are going well. I just want to encourage you and offer comfort to you on behalf of the Lord. See, Paul understood something. That he had faced difficulty. But that was not. He had faced difficulty. He had received comfort in that difficulty. But that was not the end of the line for him. That was not a, an end game for him. He wanted to pass that comfort that he had received from the Lord onto the church at Corinth. And that's exactly what he did in this letter. So if you have your Bibles, starting in verse 3 of chapter 1, 2 Corinthians. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father, look at what he calls him, the Father of mercies. Your version may say the, the, the Father of compassion or the God of compassion. I like that. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Stop right there. Paul says, I want to come to you on behalf of the Lord, the God of mercies, the Father of mercies, and the source of the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's kind of a problem with this. And the problem is this, in just a couple of chapters, Paul is going to remind us or tell us that he has a thorn in the flesh. And it's not just something that he caught by accident. In fact, God, this God that he called the God of mercies or the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort is the, the source or the, the reason that he has it. Now, he, please don't misunderstand. God did not cause this uh, pain or this suffering, but he gives it in his sovereignty he gives it to Paul for a purpose. And Paul, even though he has this thorn in the flesh, just a few chapters later he's going to tell the church this, even though he has this thorn in the flesh, he still says that, that God, the God of this universe, the God who spoke, the, the Lord Jesus who lived here, he is still the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And the Bible tells us that Paul, even though we don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was, was of great uh, difficulty, made his life very difficult, and caused him, was the source of great embarrassment several times, over and over and over again, throughout his ministry. And Paul says, I have come to the Lord three different times. Father, take this thorn away from me. And God said, no. Take this thorn away from me. No. Take this thorn away from me. No. Paul, you can ask a thousand times, but I'm telling you, the answer is no, no, no. I'm not taking it away. And even in the midst of that, Paul says, even though I know God gave it to me for a purpose, he is still the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You know, this is one of the reasons that I despise the prosperity gospel. 
This gospel that has been sold to us in this nation that we have bought hook, line, and sinker, and then has been, has been moved throughout this world and, and has been bought as well. And the prosperity gospel says this, God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us by not giving us affliction. That's basically what the prosperity gospel says. God, we know that God loves us. He's a God of mercy and he's a God of comfort because we don't have to face affliction. If our faith is deep enough, if our faith is strong enough, if our faith is good enough, and it has been bought in this nation. And it is not the gospel. Paul understood that it was in the middle of his affliction. Maybe even because of his affliction. That the Lord Jesus Christ was merciful, compassionate, kind, and offered comfort. So let me read you up. Quote from one of these prosperity gospel authors. He said this. This is just an example, an excerpt from one of their books. Maybe Alzheimer's disease runs in your family genes, but don't succumb to it. Instead, say every day, my mind is alert. I have clarity of thought. I have a good memory. Every cell in my body is increasing and getting healthier. If you'll rise up in your authority, you can be the one to put a stop to the negative things in your family line. Is that a joke or what? I mean, can you imagine this author standing before the Apostle Paul and saying, Apostle Paul, I just want you to repeat after me. My mind is alert. Every cell in my body is increasing and getting healthier. I'm getting better every day. Your thorn can now go away. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And the Apostle Paul would stand up here probably much stronger than I ever could and call it what it is. And it is not the gospel. Amen. The Paul, the Apostle, says... Excuse me, go back. I'm sorry, uh, Mitzi. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. And he comforts us in the middle of our affliction. Next verse. So that there's a purpose. He comforts us in the middle of our, of our affliction for a reason, for a purpose. And here it is. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So here's what Paul says. I have lived a very difficult life. I have been snake bitten. I have been uh, shipwrecked. I have been uh, stoned. I have been beaten. I have lived a difficult life. I have, I have faced all kinds of afflictions. I have had a difficult, difficult ministry. But because of that, I have been comforted by God in ways that I would have never known before. I would have never known any other way. I have been comforted by Christ in the middle of that affliction, in the middle of that heartache, in the middle of that pain. As the stones were being thrown at me, God showed up and he comforted me. 
And because he comforted me in the middle of my affliction, I am able now to offer comfort to you in your difficulty, in your pain, and in your suffering, church at Corinth. And I think that's the secret to the role that we play as the church when people in our family, in our church, and even outside of our church face pain and suffering as well. He goes on to reiterate what he's taught. Next verse. For, as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, and that Christ's suffering, a lot of times you read that and it means the end of Christ's life, like when he was uh, flogged, when he was beaten, when he was crucified. But most theologians think that he's just talking about the sufferings that Jesus faced as a human being. He, 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 he um, uh, submitted himself to being a human being. And the result of that is that he was going to face suffering. There were going to be times that he was hot. There were going to be times that he was cold. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He got made fun of on the playground. I mean, he faced it all, much like we face to some degree. And that's what most theologians think that Paul is talking about here, that we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, just the sufferings that we face being human beings. We share in that. So we have both faced difficulty. We both face sufferings as human beings, and they kind of run on parallel paths. My suffering as a human being uh, matches and kind of mimics and parallels much of Jesus' suffering. I've been hot. He was hot. I've been cold, hungry, just like Jesus. So those were parallels, and we've shared in that suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort, too. So here's what Paul's saying. Jesus faced suffering, but he was comforted by the Father. In the same way we face difficulty, we face suffering to varying degrees, and we are comforted by Christ and the Father as well. But it's for a purpose, and we're going to see that in just a few minutes. So we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. We also share abundantly in his comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Next verse. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So here's what Paul's saying. I face suffering. I have faced heartache. I have faced pain. And in that pain and suffering, I was comforted by Christ. But that is not an end game for me. The comfort that I received from Christ, now I am passing on to you. The, the, the pain and the suffering that I endured, God showed up and he comforted me in the middle of that affliction, in the middle of that difficulty. And now that your church, now that you, church in Corinth, are facing trials, are facing tribulations, are facing difficulty, are facing suffering, I want to take the comfort that God gave me, and I want to pass it on to you. And I've seen this happen before. I didn't come up with this term. This term called the fellowship of the suffering. And I've seen this happen in very tangible ways. Where people have 
faced heartache, have faced loss, have faced sin against them, you know, uh, uh, per- perpetuated or perpetrated onto them. I've seen people face those difficulties and by God's grace and through his comfort have come through the other side. And then they leverage it, they use it for God's glory and for their good to help other people who have followed them in the same sort of suffering, in the same sort of tribulation and difficulty. And that relationship is galvanizing. There is a, an immediate connection when people have suffered similarly and have suffered deeply. And that's exactly what Paul was encouraging the church at Corinth with. He said, look, I have suffered and I have suffered greatly. And because of that suffering, I have known Christ more deeply. I've experienced his comfort. And only because of that do I have any comfort to pass on to you. But because I do, I pass it on free. I want to read my notes and tell you a story and then we're done. I just want to read this to you because I think it's so true and I want to make sure I get it right. How is God going to show the gospel and his son to the world today? I don't believe it's going to be through comfortable, luxurious lives. That will not show the world a clear picture of Christ. And it won't impress those in the world without Christ. The world will never be impressed with healthy, comfortable people who choose to tack on Jesus at the beginning of their week. You know what impresses this world? Things this world can't offer. You know what impresses this world? When people lose their health and comfort and still say loud and clear, God is still God. God is still good, and he is enough. And at the very same time, their church rallies around them and offers comfort that only comes from Christ. When that happens, as it is all across this world, people standing up and saying, I've lost it all, I've lost my home, but Christ is still enough. When that begins to happen, we will not be able to contain everybody who will show up here. My cousin Jennifer, she's a year younger than I am, and she's had a very, a, a very difficult life. She was raised, it's my mom's sister, okay? My mom's sister's daughter, just to clarify. Uh, my mom's sister's daughter, my first cousin Jennifer. She's had a a, a difficult life. Um, She was raised by my aunt, single mom. She has three brothers, one older, two younger. They were all four raised by a single mom. Um, Dad just kind of hit the the door when when all all four of the kids were born and uh, was was never really present in their lives. She was close to my grandparents, my mom's parents. Lived in their house most of her life growing up, most of her adolescent years. So it was pretty much raised by her single mom and then my grandparents, our grandparents. Well, over the last 10 years or so, 
she um, has had to, to, uh, to help bury both my grandpa and my grandma. At the same time, she has had to bury her, her mom, my mom's sister, who, who had a, a valiant uh, battle, but eventually, on this side of eternity, um, lost the battle, the physical battle with cancer. We'll get, we can get into that, but that's a completely different sermon. Um, lost the physical battle in that broken relationship with her, with, with her mom. And then a year and a half ago, um, had to bury one of her kids. I mean, she has faced it. And um, had a difficult, difficult life as a result of it. Yet, wakes up every morning in a, you know, a, a great perspective. This week, I just was talking to my mom. She was saying that Jennifer's trying to figure out how she can use that um, for people who are going to go through that heartache in the future. How can she leverage the loss that she's experienced for the sake of people that are going to come behind her and experience the same kind of loss? And Mary Jo was in the first service. She kind of laughed because Jennifer is known for just kind of like taking one day at a time. Like she doesn't ever plan into the future. And if I had that kind of loss, I probably would too. And I've experienced it on some level. I mean, it's family, but not nothing like her. Um... But she just kind of takes one day at a time. But for you know, this this she's trying to figure out. Okay, what can I do? What can I set up? What what does it look like to use the loss that I've experienced just recently and leverage it for the sake of the gospel to help people that come behind me? My mom said something. I didn't include this last hour, but my mom said something that I think is very true to me, and I'm sure she said it to Jennifer as well. She said, "Jennifer, I think you'll find." That when you do that, that it's going to be comforting to you as well. So church, I want a gospel, I want a life that the world is attracted to. And that only happens when I have something to offer that the world does not. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of pain and suffering, Lord, I pray that we would find comfort that only comes from you. But Lord, that that would not be an end game. That would not be all that there is. But Lord, we would use it to comfort those in our church and outside who come behind us and are hurting as well. And Lord, it would be for our good and ultimately for your glory. Lord, I'm not sure that I have done your, your word, the justice that it is due today, because this is such a weighty subject and a difficult subject. But Lord, in spite of that, I pray that it would be a reality in our life and in our church. I know people that have that sit here this morning and sat, sat in the last hour who have gone through deep, deep pain and would never, ever want to do it again would never want to see anybody walk through it again, yet we know on this side of eternity they will. Lord, I pray that they would be willing to use that pain and that suffering and the comfort that they receive in it and pass it on. In your name we pray. Amen.